Hi, everyone. I wanted to remind you of a must read. This is a book that you have to have on your bookshelf. It is called The Necktie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer. He is able to help you make important decisions, give you some guidance on which path to take, and you get to learn how he tapped into the wisdom and power of the unseen worlds for guidance and inspiration. I had the opportunity to interview him, and he was a lovely guest on the Path 11 podcast, episode 343. Check it out. Listen to the podcast. Go buy the book. Again, it's The Necktie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer. To find out more information, go to his website, carlgreer.com. That's spelled C-A-R-L-G-R-E-E-R.com. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. So welcome everyone to today's podcast. Now, if you are a person that feels like you have a book inside of you, or you have a story that you need to tell, or maybe you've always said, I'm going to write a book someday, but maybe you're having some doubt. Maybe you feel like who would ever read my story? Who cares about my story? I'm not a great writer. These are all things that I have said to myself as well. Then this is definitely a podcast for you. Our guest today is Bella Mahaya Carter. And she wrote the book, Where Do You Hang Your Hammock? If you're watching on PAP 11 TV, you'll be able to see us and actually see the book. And she has also uh, written an award-winning memoir called Raw, My Journey from Anxiety to Joy. She is a creative writing teacher and an empowerment coach, speaker. Um, she's worked with hundreds of writers since 2008 and has a degree in literature, film, and spiritual psychology. Her poetry, essays, fiction, and interviews have appeared in Mind, Body, Green, The Sun, Lilith, Fearless Soul, Writer's Bone, Women's Writers, Women's Book, Chick Vegan, Bad Yogi Magazine, Jane Friedman's blog, Pick the Brain, The Spiritual Medical Blog, Literary Mama, and several anthologies and elsewhere. So without further ado, Bella, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you, April. Yeah. So, okay. So I have to tell you the story first, because when you're, and I have to be honest, when your book first came across my desk and, you know, now that our podcast has gotten so popular, I get so many um, publicists, you know, pitching things right every single day. And I've had to become a little more selective in who I choose. And at first, when I saw the book, where do you hang your hammock, finding peace of mind while you write, publish and promote your book, I said, oh, I'm going to have to pass on this one because you know, this, this doesn't really fit into the Path 11 podcast. Like we're a spirituality podcast, you know, and, you know, even though everybody wants to write a book and I've wanted to, and I have had every single psychic medium reader reading that I've ever had since my twenties, it's been 20 years. Everyone tells me, you know, you're going to write a book someday. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. So, you know, I was like, oh, this sounds interesting personally for me, but I'm going to pass for this on the podcast. And as I was kind of going through my email, I heard a strong no. And I heard, no, this is a yes. And I went back and I was like, okay, well, why? You know, and I, I now learned to listen to spirit. And I was like, well, 
okay, yeah, I love hammocks and, you know, have one in the backyard. So, and I read it again and, and I was like, yeah, no, I'm still not feeling it. And again, the strong, no, this is a yes. So I was like, okay. And then, so I'm having this conversation with spirit and I felt like spirit was also saying to me, there are a lot of your listeners that need to hear this. There need to be more spiritual books out there. More people need to write on their spiritual journeys. So I was like, okay, I'm going to say yes. So I said, I went back to your publicist and I said, sure, without even knowing what your book was about. Right. And then I get the book and I start reading it. And I'm like, oh my God, the title of this book should be like the shaman's guide to writing a book. <laughs> okay. So I, then I was like, now I understand why spirit was saying like, don't pass on this book because once I actually started to read it, this is so much more than just like a guide on how to write a book. Like you, this is a very spiritual book on how to write and promote your book. I mean, you know, you have stuff in here about creating writing altars, bath ceremonies, your moonstone egg. I mean, it, clear intention setting. So it was just really um, so cool for me to have this experience and a little bit of this argument with the creator, like, no, like I'm going to pass on this because I don't think my listeners want to know how to publish and promote books. Like, but then I get it and I'm like, oh yeah, I so know why you are here. So I just had to share that with you because I'm so glad I didn't say no, you know, and I really feel like my podcast is very much guided by spirit and I really listen when I get those messages. So I don't know, we're going to open up the show with that. What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> that is a fabulous story. And I'm so glad you shared it. And I'm so glad, I mean, the fact that you could hear what you were being, you know, you can hear that guidance and not once, but twice go to bat with it and, and just know, and then make the decision based on that before, you know, you didn't read the book. You didn't know, you know, it wasn't like, well, let me just see, let me dip my toe in and see what this book is. No, you just said, okay. And so you, you trusted that voice and kudos to you for trusting that voice. And yeah. yes, it is, it is a spiritual book. I mean, when I was first conceiving of this book, I, the title in my mind was spiritual wisdom for writers, which my editor just said, no, <laughs> no, she just dismissed that. And, you know, I understand that. And yes, it is a spiritual book. And um, I think that spirit guides us in every way. And when we bring spirit to everything that we do, or when we are aware of who we are as spirit, as spiritual beings going through this human experience, when we have that awareness, everything is more fun and everything is, is brighter and truer and more authentic. And that's, I think, what I'm trying to say in the book. Like yeah. I'm saying, writers, don't stress out about this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And I just loved as I was going through the book and reading it, how much, how much spirituality was in here, you know, how much of your own shares I'd love so much. Like I've worked with so many shamans. So when I got to the chapter of, you know, create a writing altar, I was like, oh yeah, this is my girl. Okay. We are on the same page here. This is amazing. So I am, I'm just so thrilled that I do have you on this podcast because you need to be here and you are one of these spiritual writers who are in alignment, in tune, in the flow with love and joy. And you really talk a lot about that too. This book is so much more than just a guide to help people break through their ego, break through their fear, and really connect with that internal wisdom, 
the joy, the alignment with the creator and get their story out there. So I'm so excited. Can't wait. Thank you so much. Thank you for, thank you for reading it and experiencing the book in that way. It touches my heart. If just one person has that experience with my book, then I'm happy. Yeah. So let's get into a little bit of the, the crux of this universal doubt, right? Um, and what people kind of go through and how you probably went through that process as well. And the other thing that we're going to tie in here too is in uh, chapter eight, anxiety is not the price of admission. So I'd kind of like you, if you don't mind, to talk a little bit about the process of breaking through the ego, the fear, the self-doubt and the anxiety to really you know, share your story, your memoir, you know, that, that you had written and also that process to like get over it and just get it out there. So would love to hear you talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought for years that I wasn't good enough, that nothing that I had to say was really important. It didn't matter. I thought that that I would never achieve my dream to write because why should I, you know, there was a real sense of unworthiness, which I understand now just what I call in my book, I call that kind of thinking universal doubt. Hmm. And what that means is that all humans, there are, there are like 12 fundamental beliefs that happen when we're individuating, when we're first, when we're babies and we're, we're born and we're, you know, the ego, the ego is actually a valuable tool. The ego is saying, it's trying to orient us, right? It's trying to say, well, where am I? And what is it? It's trying to keep us safe, basically. And so when our needs aren't met, when we're little, when we're young, the ego creates a story to try and explain it. So in my case, one of the stories was I'm not good enough or I'm bad. But the problem is, like, that's not actually who I am. Who I am was, you know, maybe once upon a time I was a star in the universe and I was just circling around and I thought, like, I want to have an experience of being in a body. And so then, you know, I ended up in my mother's womb and then I was born and then I started to have these experiences. And so then my ego had to be, my ego was born. So, and I haven't really talked about this in the book because this is stuff that I'm kind of thinking about now. But, um... But the ego is not who we are. It's a tool and it's fabulous and it's the way that we orient ourselves, but it's not who we are. But we live our lives trying to resolve the, 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 the stories, like trying to deal with the stories that we make up about who we are. So I thought, well, I'm not good enough. So I'm constantly trying to do things to prove to people that I am good enough. So it's really like ego resolution all the way through, but it's not like, I know who I am. I'm this magnificent spiritual being, just like you are, just like we all are. And I get to do things that I want to do for fun, but I don't have to do them to resolve my ego identity. I don't have to do them to prove I am good enough. I am good enough. Please believe me. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And um, in anxiety is not the price of admission. You talk a little bit about the psycho-spiritual factors that create anxiety. So it's kind of what we're talking about now, identifying with your ego instead of your spirit, blindly accepting your fearful thinking and not realizing you have a choice about what to believe, right? Like, don't we get trapped in that so often that we'll believe these fearful thoughts, you know, I'm just- We get hijacked. They hijack us. And we have no idea. And we're really kind of off in this. It's all, I mean, it's all made up. 
right? Right. All an illusion, right? It's an illusion and we're living out the illusion. You know, for years I heard that and I didn't understand what that meant. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Like when it, like we live, I knew that I heard somebody say years ago, you know, well, we live with the illusion of control, but we also are living with the illusion of all the stories that we create. And I was like, what the heck? Mm -hmm. What does that even mean? I didn't know what it meant, but now I know what it means. Yeah. It means yeah. that we, we're making things up all the time and we think that it's real. It's not that we don't have real feelings in response to the stuff we make up. We do. But we can choose. We're actually creating every moment. Yeah. And that's what I loved about your book, too. It was very empowering about choices, you know, and um, the reason why I probably love uh chapter eight, anxiety is not the price of admission is because that's the mental health therapist in me that, you know, is always trying to empower my clients to, you know, choose, choose that love over the anxiety. Like you are not your thoughts, you know, you, you are so much more and you can really choose to have better feeling thoughts. Just as easy as it is to choose fearful thoughts, we can choose loving thoughts or come at it from love as well. Can I, can I say something about that? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a mental health professional, so excuse me for being so bold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it's not a matter of choosing the thoughts, I don't think. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a matter of first understanding what my thinking is. You know, and then it's a function of my ego and then it's, you know, that, that it's, it's trying to keep me safe and it, you know, it's, it, so it's not a matter of choosing not to believe that thought. It's more, I mean, it is kind of, but it's more about what kind of a relationship do I want to cultivate with that kind of thinking? Mm -hmm. Like, and then again, awareness is the first thing, because if you're not aware, number one, that you're having a thought, and number two, that you're not your thoughts. If you're like swimming in the ocean like a fish in the water and the fish doesn't know that the water isn't part of them or an infant doesn't know that its mother is not part of it, you know, there's, you know, you have an individual, if you're identified with your thinking, you're mm -hmm. in it. Right. So, exactly. so, so seeing that is, and I maybe this isn't contradicting what you were saying at all, but I was just saying like, there's a difference between some people think they can change their thoughts some mm -hmm. people think like, oh, no, I'm just going to choose different thoughts, you know, and they're going to start self-affirming or whatever. Well, I have found it's a little more subtle than that. I have yeah. found that if I, if, I try to, if I try to resist a thought, for example, it's going to push harder at me. Mm -hmm. If I try to um, change it or make it go away, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shake its head at me and say, you know. But if I just say, okay, I see you. Right. I high, high anxious thought that I don't really like. Hi, you know, I'm here. I'm here. And if I allow myself to just accept it and be with it, you know, and, and not take it too seriously. Right. It, it, sometimes I can distract myself and just do something else. But sometimes if, if it's really strong, if there's some thinking that's really, you know, that if you work with people with anxiety or depression, if it's really strong, you know, sometimes I'll just say, because I, I work with my clients on, on all of this stuff, even though like it's, it's technically, I mean, I'm, I don't do therapy, but we have conversations, right? Because the writing brings us very, it brings us to deep places. Yeah. But, um, ah, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. But I, I follow you and I totally agree with you that there, there has to be that awareness. Like there's another writer. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book, Michael Singer, the untethered oh. soul. 
Oh, right. Oh my so goodness. yeah, that's like a homework assignment for my clients. It's like, you need to read this book. And the first yeah. step really is identifying and understanding that you're separate from your thoughts, but you have to be the witness to them. Like what right. you're talking about, that awareness of, and he used it, the inner roommate, you know, like oh. visualize, visualize the anxiety as being your inner roommate, but picture that as a person that follows you around 24 yeah. hours a day. And how would you talk to that person if they were like your chatter you're angry you'd be like be quiet go in another room leave me alone like give me a break so you're absolutely right the awareness there's a couple of steps here before you can find the empowerment to know how to choose yeah and um god this thought keeps coming in and going out i love michael singer um oh i remember what i was gonna say at the end of the day it's kind of about like you know, even, even if it's hitting you hard and even if you can't distract yourself from it and it's bringing you down, I just say to people, wait it out, mm -hmm. you know, it'll pass. Right. And if people can just wait it out and just say, okay, like this sucks. I'm really uncomfortable. I don't like this, but you know what? It's okay. Mm -hmm. It passes, it always passes. It does. And a great example of that too is sometimes my practice gets a little busy, right? So a lot of clients will say, well, when I made the appointment, I was like freaking out, you know, and they had to wait like two or three weeks to get in, you know, because my schedule has been pretty busy. And they're like, I don't even know why, like I'm in a good place right now, but when I made the appointment, I wasn't. And it's like, yes, perfect. Like that is a perfect indicator to show you that, you know, just we can go into the conversation. I don't want to veer off too much, but like of how things really aren't permanent and there is always constant change and where you were two weeks ago thinking you couldn't make it through life. You're like, here you are three weeks later, like I'm good. I'm all right. I don't even remember what I wanted to talk to you about. So I, have a, I love that. I have a strategy because I have a, somebody that I talk to. She's a coach and I, and she's very spiritually oriented. And, you know, if I get to a place and I'm really upset, you know, and my first response might be to reach out to her, send her an email and say, can you have a conversation? But what I've learned is, is, you know what? No, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. I can just, I can sit with this. Well, of course I'm a writer. So I, I might process it in my journal. And then my, you know, my, my spiritual wisdom usually kicks in when I do that. And I learn things and I can often diffuse whatever's going on through that process. But even without that process, because I don't think we have to do anything. That's the beauty is that we maybe, you know, I thought for years, like, well, I have to do that. I have to write in my journal. I have to meditate. I have to walk. I have to exercise. Like I had all these have tos, right? Right. But, but actually, no. It, the, the system is self-cleansing. Mm. Yes. Perfect. I love that you just said that. And also that kind of goes hand in hand with two things. So you're kind of reading my mind and where I wanted to go with your, this talk, not surprise. Um, but you also have, it's on page uh, 26. I noted it because I absolutely loved it. The Gnostic gospels say that if you bring forth what's inside of you, what you bring forth will save you. That is so beautiful. Like, thank you for that. And thank you for putting that in there. Again, I just want to say it again for the listeners. The Gnostic Gospels say that if you bring forth what is inside of you, what you bring forth will save you. And that is also why I wanted you on this podcast, too, because Spirit said your listeners have stories that need to be told. You know, mm -hmm. there are people who are listening. I don't know who they are. I may never meet those listeners, but that they need to bring forth what is inside of them in order for them to be saved. 
And did you experience that yourself when you were writing your memoir? Can I, I ha, I, I, uh, I'm, I'd like to ask me that question in a minute. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I want to respond to the, I wanted, this is sort of like just something for people out there that think that what they have to say won't matter because that Gnostic gospel quote I heard years ago for the first time in, in a writing class. And it has been, it had stayed with me and stayed with me. And I've said it over and over and over again. So that by the time I was writing, writing it in my book, I thought, oh, gosh, this again? Like, oh, God. like, you know, it felt like I wasn't being fresh. I wasn't being original. I wasn't being, you know, it just felt tired because it had lived with me for so long. So the fact, so the, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we can't judge you know, it's not our business to judge what we're doing because here, this line resonated with you. Big time. And, and power, powerfully. So we don't know. It's like we're, we show up and we allow whatever wants to be expressed through us. And the biggest challenge to that is that we judge ourselves, is that we think, oh, this is no good or nobody will care or all that universal doubt, which doesn't even belong to us. It's just part of the human condition. It just, it comes in and... So yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Now ask me your other question. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so then with the fact that that impacted you, right? So much as you, when you heard it, as it impacted me, when you wrote your memoir and you kind of, you know, you call it raw and you kind of a memoir, that's what it is, right? It's like diving deep into your vulnerability and basically taking off all of your clothes and saying, here I am world. Um, do you feel like that that saved you in any way? Oh gosh, Yes. I mean, it's so funny to think about, you know, people ask me about writing my memoir and I say, well, if I'm going to be really honest, that memoir wrote me. Mm. I, you know, my editor wanted an outline before we began. And I was clear, I knew it was in three parts. I knew it was body, mind, and spirit. I knew that it was about healing. Uh, I thought it was about my midlife quest for health and happiness. I had no idea that I was even dealing with anxiety in my life until, until three quarters of the way into the book. And even then, I didn't really know that, that anxiety was a huge chunk of what I was dealing with. And that's kind of another story. But what I did was I wrote the body section, then I wrote the mind section, and then I flubbed the spirit section. I kind of just made it up because just to have something. And then... I had written the body section and I was coming to the end of the mind section and we had five family deaths in three years. Wow. And I was the executor of my mom's estate and the anxiety that had been sort of just, you know, low level in my life and that I couldn't and didn't really know was there because I was high achieving. It, it, it erupted and became an anxiety disorder. And suddenly I was afraid to leave my house and I was having panic attacks and it was horrible. I thought I was going to die. Every day I thought I was going to die. Mm -hmm. uh, so I stopped writing the book because I was freaking out. I was like, oh, you know, what's going on? What's happening to me? And I couldn't write anymore. The interesting thing, however, is that I kept writing in my journal because I had to. Because it was just a way, it was just, it was a way for me to process what I was experiencing. And and the crazy thing is that I would also beat myself up because I, I, I would say to myself, oh, you're not working on your book. You know, bad you. You're not being productive. 
what, what I realized later was all that stuff I was writing in my journal, that became the last part of the book. That was the spirit mm. section of the book. And I hadn't even, I had some mystical experiences at that time. If you haven't read Raw, you might be interested in it, especially as a healer, because it's really a book about healing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I hadn't yet lived those experiences when I outlined the book. So I, it was impossible for me to, so I just kept revising my outline as I started seeing more things. I came back to the book and I was like, oh, this outline is completely wrong. It's this. Mm-hmm. So sometimes writing something that, that isn't, it doesn't really matter. Like with outlines, I think they're really helpful. They're like scaffolding, you know, for a painter, you know, I think of, you know, Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel and he's, you know, he's got to be supported by the scaffold. That's what outlines could do for us as writers but once you like hold them too tightly or hold anything in life too tightly they don't work for you so I I think of outlines as living breathing documents yeah and I love kind of the whole spiritual process and this kind of goes back a little bit to talking about divine timing right like not really in our time you had and we're probably given this the thought the guidance the download of mind body spirit but again, it was like the book probably couldn't have been completed until you actually went through this spiritual journey yourself, having these mystical experiences, you know, and then it formed. Let's actually call it what it was. It was a spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been awakening slowly over some time, over some years, but these experiences that I had, like I had an experience of an ancient being speaking through me in a language I didn't understand, but I understood the message. Mm. And one of the messages was, do not spend another second, do not waste another second of your life in doubt and fear. Of course, I still do have doubt and fear, but it was a great message. And 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 then I had a, I had an experience of leaving my body mm-hmm. and, and really just really knowing who I am. It, it was a... Anyway, that's not what this 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 interview is about. But but it was extraordinary, and it really um, made it clear to me who who I am. Yeah, and and it's not this like you know like looking at like you know you hold up your hand, you look through your th- you look through your hand like this, you know, and you see this tiny little pinprick. Like no, that's that's like how I've lived a lot of my life. But really, life is like whoo, right. It's wide. It's bit, so much bigger than. I love that. That um, do you remember that? I don't know if you saw that movie, What the Bleep. Yes. Oh, yeah. But they said we have five hundred billion. We are exposed to five hundred billion bits of information, and we process two thousand of that five hundred billion. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just too much. The brain. It's too much. We can't take it all in. Yeah. Right. Now I know my listeners are going to say, April, go back to that out-of-body experience, because even though you said, I know this isn't what this show is about, like my listeners were going to eat that up. So I know that they're wondering, like, what was that? What happened? So do you mind sharing it? No, I'd love to share it. Yeah. So um, I was having a Reiki session. Mm -hmm. The Reiki practitioner had come to my house, and this was before the pandemic. So it was just kind of cool that she was coming to my house. And it was toward the end of the session. And suddenly my body began to feel really light. And I, I, I sensed my experience myself as not being solid matter. I experienced myself as like a mass of vibrating energy. The next thing I knew, it felt like my pores were dilating. 
and I was out of my body. My first response was I was afraid. Mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit, I'm out of my body. (laughs) I I better get back in. (laughs) And then I got back in. But while I was out in that brief time, even though there was that, oh, that fear, like, so the ego was still somehow with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also felt like I was existing in that brief, I don't know how much time it was, but very briefly, probably. But I had this feeling that I was existing in multiple dimensions of time and space, mm-hmm. that time and space were illusions or that, you know, time and space were the rules that we live by here in this you know, in, in bodies in the world, on the planet Earth, we time and space matter to us. But that in that realm, time and space were simultaneous. Right. Came back to my body. I was scared. And I, and I, you know, then the Reiki practitioner said to me, that was a gift. Mm-hmm. Don't let that gift, don't turn that gift into something bad. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Yeah. And she sat with me while I ate some food to try to ground myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later that day, I told my husband what happened. And he said, wow, that's really cool. And and not, you're really crazy. I need to, we need to get help. We need to get you help. <laughs> right. <laughs> he under, like he got it. You know, he didn't think for a moment that it was a psychotic experience or. Right. I had a client at the, around that time who was a, a therapist and didn't have really a, well, I don't know if she didn't have, she's a spiritual person, but I don't know if she had this framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and she made some reference about psychosis. And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my God. Like I knew, I knew I wasn't losing my mind. Right. I knew that this was something uh, divine. I I felt that. I could, I, I, I even though I was afraid because I, didn't know what it was. I knew it was something mystical and marvelous. Yeah. And I can say from being a licensed mental health therapist, this is one of the reasons why I have found myself over the years moving away from that identity and title, because you're going to get me on a whole nother soapbox that there are so many people having mystical experiences that the DSM would say, oh, that could be psychosis or schizophrenia or this or that. And we're so much more complex than that, you know? And I mean, I've sat with people for over 20 years hearing so many different stories and so many paranormal experiences and they're sane people. They don't need to be hospitalized. They do not need to be put on medication. You know, they're, they're having out-of-body experiences and spiritual experiences that can feel very scary if there's not a framework. And if you don't have a person to process that with, that has an understanding of that, you know, if some people may come at it from a certain clinical framework and, you know, that could be their understanding of it, or they want to put something around that to make the person feel safe and make them feel safe. You know, like, what do you mean? I was feeling like I was particles. It's like, no, yeah, you finally realized you're more than your physical body. Wonderful. That's awesome. You know, that's amazing. So I'm glad yeah. you brought that. I'm glad you brought that up because I know, you know, our listeners too, I think that's one of the reasons why they come to this podcast is that they need to hear stories like that to validate their own, you know, yeah. to realize that they're not crazy. You know, like these are, these are experiences that can happen. We really don't even know what we're capable of as being in this physical body. Um, There's this wonderful psychiatrist. He doesn't practice psychiatry anymore because he, his name is uh, Dr. William Pettit. 
and he's a spirit has a spiritual focus and he stopped the practice of psychiatry because his patients weren't getting better and he found this understanding the three principles that came from a man named Sidney Bank he articulated these three principles but anyway it's a spiritual understanding of how we create our experience and he said something like when I talk to someone who has hallucinations you know I just refer to them as like great visual like 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 uh I don't remember the exact words, so I'm, I'm sorry that I'm going to butcher this. But the, the basic idea is like you can, in the way that I was talking about cultivating a different relationship with those negative voices, he was like, you know, you're just getting great visual, great, not side effects. I forgot what he said. But the point is that that even people who are hallucinating can can come to understand what is a hallucination? I heard this really cool story. This might be off the track. I don't know, but it's so cool. I want to share it. So there was a guy who was imagining that snakes would come. He he was in a mental hospital and he kept visualizing snakes coming at him when he would go into the shower, right? So, um, so this doctor, this very unconventional psychiatrist, planned to actually bring in a real snake into the shower. Mm -hmm. And, um, the guy was showering, whatever, and the real snake appeared. And the psychiatrist said, I am here with you. You're safe. Now, can you tell the difference between the, you know, this snake and these and these and the other snake? Can you see a difference? Mm-hmm. Like, w- do the real snakes look like your hallucination snakes? And the guy said, No, they look completely different. Mm-hmm. So so he began to understand that when he saw those those imagined snakes, they weren't real. Right. And eventually just even having that awareness made the snakes go away. Hallucinations. Yeah. Yeah. And then another part of me would say, okay, well, let's look up what the snake stands for in shamanism and as a power animal and spirit animal. And how can you use the qualities of the snake? Like, are they bringing you messages? You know, and, you know, I know some um, some shamans too would say like in other indigenous cultures, people that have those visions are considered to be the medicine people of the village. Right you know, because they can, they right. can see that. So yeah. Right. Amazing. Yeah. So I loved, I loved when you were given the example, when you were kind of putting your hand over your eye and you're like, I kind of used to live my life through just like this lens and just see things very small, which kind of comes from your hammock story <laughs> and, you know, where do you uh, hang your hammock? So I love that story in the very beginning too, because it really speaks and was kind of a metaphor for life about how sometimes we can get in Uh, rigid thinking, and I'm going to have you tell the story, right? We can get into like this rigid thinking or this place that just feels very comfortable for us and not even realize that we can explore and do something a little bit different that might be so much more magnificent than where we were comfortable. So do you want to kind of share the hammock story as the metaphor? Yeah, here's the hammock story. 10 years ago, my husband and daughter gave me the most fabulous Mother's Day gift. It was a hammock and they loved it, but I didn't really know where to put it. We have kind of a big backyard, but I use that to host events. So I thought, I don't want to put it in the middle of there. So so we decided there was this old tool shed on the side of the house, and we never really used it. So we we cleared it, we demolished it, we set up the hammock on the side of the house. It was perfect. It was under this beautiful canopy of leaves and shingling and in especially like I live in Southern California, so it's like at least six months out of the year, I could enjoy the hammock at the end of the workday. I would go into my hammock, I would read, relax, stare at the sky. It was great. Then one day I went outside and something was different. 
I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I look up and I notice that the shade, all the leaves are gone. And I look down and I notice that the tree limb, so there's a tree planted on my neighbor's property and there's a wooden fence and there's a hole in the fence through which the limb that provided the shade to my hammock extends. It was cut. So my neighbor cut the limb to the tree that provided the shade to my hammock without mentioning it, without asking, without telling nothing. It just was gone. And I was pissed. And I tried to work with it. I tried to put sunscreen on. I tried to cover myself with a sheet. I, you know, I tried doing that. That didn't work. My husband came up with great ideas. He said, well, you know, we'll get a shade structure. I'm like, I don't want to look at canvas or plastic. I want to look at the sky. I want to look at the trees. He said, well, we'll plan something. Oh, it'll take forever to grow. And every idea that he had, I just shot down because I was convinced I was screwed. This was it. Like the universe screwed me over. This is a mess. So for two months, like that whole summer, this is the beginning of the summer. So for the whole summer, I avoided my hammock. I didn't go to my hammock. And then one day toward the end of the summer, I was just needing my hammock. I really needed to be outside in my hammock. So I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to move the damn thing. So I went, I put on some gardening gloves. I tore down this rotting redwood trellis. I dragged the hammock just a few feet. It wasn't even very far, just, just under some shade, you know, under some trees. I sunk into my hammock. I looked up and I said, this is beautiful. Why hadn't I done this sooner? And I realized that I was fixed on my position. I thought it had to look like this. And that, that's exactly what I was doing. I was looking at my world through this tiny little lens where it had to look a certain way. And I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Life is much, much, much bigger than that. And, and, there, and then in the book, I also talk about my path to publication with my memoir and how when that wasn't unfolding, the analogy is like when that wasn't happening the way I thought it should happen, I had to keep moving my hammock. And here's the funny thing about the hammock story, which is just a, like a coda. The great thing about the hammock story is that I now move my hammock all the time. <laughs> and there isn't a bad place in my backyard for my hammock. Mm. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. You know, and that's important. And so it's important too, I would say for our listeners and our viewers to kind of think about that, you know, in your own life, like, can you move your hammock? Can you be open to, you know, a different experience and looking at things totally differently than the way that you were and maybe possibly bringing it back to the stories within us? Can you look at maybe the reasons why you've been afraid or why you haven't already and just like move the hammock and write the story or journal the story? And which also leads me to um, just another page that I want to bring in because this is perfect timing for this on page 98. Let's see. Um, you referenced uh, a Janet Connor in her book, Writing Down Your Soul, How to Activate and Listen to the Extraordinary Voice Within. And you kind of talk about like how in your book, why journaling is so important. And um, you have quoted, if you write with a clear intention to communicate with your inner wisdom, you create a doorway between conscious mind and cosmic mind, mm. self energy and source energy old neural pathways and new ones, life as it is and life as it could be. And you reference this a little bit further back in our conversation today about how, you know, you kind of, when you begin writing, it's almost like you are channeling and information can move through you and you don't even know where those words came from, you know? Um, so do you want to just speak a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I'll say this, that writing this book was the whole, the process of, of this book being born was exactly that. I had spent five years working on my memoir and I wasn't ready to, to launch into another big project like that. And years ago, my uh, editor had said, you know, you should make, you should turn your blog into a book. And I thought, well, why would I want to do that? I couldn't imagine it. But then I, I started thinking, well, maybe that could be interesting. That could be an interesting thing to do. And so I, I, this book came together in about two or three weeks. And uh, it's true I was drawing on 10 years worth of material from the blog, but it wasn't just a matter of stringing blog posts together. It was like, what have I learned in these 10 years? Like I had been writing for 10 years about these subjects. Um, so when I started, like, I, it was clear in the beginning that I could identify different, like this piece, like I, I identified clearly the sections, dream, nourish, write, publish, or promote. I knew that like most of what I'd written fell into one of those categories. And so I, you know, I put them in the categories, I struck the posts together, and then it became obvious that there were big holes and there were um, redundancies. I guess what I want to, at the bottom, the bottom line is that I just, no sooner did I have a question than the answer appeared. And I just felt like the entire time I was working on this project, it, it, it was just, it was completely spirit guided. And let me give you another example. So my, so I'm, I'm promoting this book, right? And um, my publicist asks me for a list of interview topics, like things, no, 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 a list of articles I can write, topics for articles. So I thought, hmm, well, let me check my, um, my files. Cause I, I write in my journal and then I'll sometimes like just make a peep file of ideas. Like I have a ha ideas hatching files, right? So uh, I rated that file and I ended up sending my publicist a list of 50 articles I could write. And then I thought, hmm, that might actually be my next book. So just park that over here. Now over here. So this fall, I've been invited to give four talks. And I don't have a ton of experience giving talks, but I have some experience giving talks. But I kind of want to go to the next level in how I do my presentations, right? So I'm reading these books. And so I, I cover the back door of my office with this huge paper. And I, I realize that there's three main topics I want to talk about. I want to talk about slowing down. I want to talk about surrendering. I'm realizing I'm going really fast right now. Go for it. And I want to talk about celebrating. Mm -hmm. Like slow down, surrender, celebrate. And there's a ton of stuff I want to say about each of those topics. So I have all these little sticky notes and they're all, like, the board is completely full now. I've been doing it for like two months and thinking, okay, I'm just designing my talk. I'm designing my talk. And uh, it occurred to me last week that, you know what? This is way too much material for a talk. This is my next book. And last Friday, I came into my office and it wasn't planned. I didn't think about it. I just started, I took a picture of the back of my door and I started working on my outline for the book. It wasn't planned. I thought I was going to write a memoir, another memoir next. Mm -hmm. It wasn't planned. It just, it, it's coming. Yeah. And it can, and, and one of the, one of the fake fundamental beliefs that I have in my head is that things are like good things are supposed to be hard. I'm supposed to work really hard for right. them. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. But this book, where do you hang your hammock? It was like a joy. It was like a fart. I mean, it just, 
came right out. I mean, it was just crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and that, and it can be that way. I, I, I feel like, you know, life, there's plenty of stuff that's hard. Believe me, my life isn't all easy like that. But that, I felt like that, I, I, I don't know. I felt like the universe just said, you know, Bella, here, this is where you're needed. Mm-hmm. Go here. Instead of me trying to like kind of resolve my identity questions mm-hmm. and, and wonder like, you know, just instead of acting out of, I need to prove myself. Now I feel like I'm acting because I'm, I'm being guided. Right. Yeah. And I think I always was, I think I always was being guided, Mm -hmm. but there was just so much noise. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, in your book, this is another point that goes hand in hand with this is I'd like you to also talk about when your perception kind of shifted from doing things out of fear and doing them with love, you know, because as you're talking here and saying like, you know, I thought things, you know, that are miraculous or whatever, shouldn't be so easy, right? We should suffer for it. And you gave a really um, just beautiful way and approach of life and a really great example about like being, I had to think it was like frustrated of having to clean your house or people are coming over or whatever the case may be. And then you really talk about, well, what if instead of living life through the lens of fear, what if everything I did, I came at it through love? And this might be a beautiful way to end. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, I first heard about that from Dr. Ron Holnick, who is the director of studies at the University of Santa Monica's master's degree program in spiritual psychology, which I went through. And he said, the only reason to do anything is for love. And when I heard that, I was like, come on, (laughs) we have to do, there's all kinds of stuff we have to do that has nothing, nothing to do with learning. And I was like, really saying I don't know about that. But then I thought, well, let me, let me, let me move my hammock. I didn't say that because the hammock wasn't, wasn't in existence then, but let me, let me see if I can try this on for size. And what I noticed was that really everything that I was doing in my life, like cleaning my house, because I, I love my family and I love having a beautiful place to, to be in. And picking up my daughter from school, I love my daughter, and I'm showing up in service. And it turned out that all the things that I was doing, I was doing out of love. Hmm. But when I, but I didn't really, I wasn't aware of it. I didn't think of it that way. I thought of them as chores. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed was when I, when I saw that I was actually doing everything out of love, nothing changed in terms of what I did, but how I did it changed and and my the the impetus behind my doing what I did completely changed right and and that changed my life yeah and probably also the way that you felt doing it right because some sometimes those tasks or those chores can feel like resentful or like oh well now I have to go and do this but I'd rather be doing something else for myself or you know just resentment can build up sometimes when we get feel so overwhelmed by the things to do list or the chores that we have to do in order for things to feel right or be right so yeah so moving in the world with a totally different feeling you know I'm sorry yeah go ahead and here's the thing none of it is is more important like it's not more important for me to be writing my book than it is for me to be picking up my daughter or 
I mean, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all valuable Mm -hmm. and, and beautiful and divine. Well, Bella, this has been magnificent. I am so glad I listened to spirit. I mean, it was so strong. I swear to God, it was like, no, this is not a no, this is a yes, you know? And I was like, and, and it so is a yes. I mean, you are such a cool person. You are such a spiritual woman. You know, you have depth to you. You've been through these experiences. I never would have known even half of even what I've learned. I mean, I, I felt it, you know, reading some of the stuff that you have in here. Like I knew that you would be like a great fit for this, but you know, you are definitely awesome. I have to read the memoir now, right? So we might have to have you back on because then I'll have to ask you more questions. But um, you have um, one thing and how I would like to to end today uh, with just an, another beautiful thing that you- Before we do that, I just want to, can I just say that I'm starting a new round of classes. I have, oh, these yes. writing, I have these writing circles and I'm starting a new round in September, September 20th. They're almost full because a lot of my students who study with me, they tend to stick around for a while, but I do have a few openings. So if there's anybody, any of your listeners are interested in finding their voice, uh, sharing their voice, um, any joining a writing circle, contact me at uh, www.bellamahayacarter.com and go to services writing circles because I still have a few openings. Awesome. Yeah. And we're definitely going to put all your links in the show notes too. I don't think that this is act. This show is probably going to be aired after September. So do you do these um, circles I do. I do. Like on a yearly basis or yeah. more often? Yeah. Okay, great. I do. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you. So um, in this book, if you guys decide to purchase it and where can people buy it? Amazon, they just anywhere. Go to Amazon anywhere. You can buy it yeah. anywhere. Um, and it's funny too, because um, Monday of this week, I had met with a client of mine who is just mag- a magnificent writer. I mean, just does beautiful mm-hmm. stuff. And I said to her, I was like, well, you know, I'm interviewing somebody for my podcast. And then when I started reading it, I was like, you need to buy this book. And I awesome. took a picture of it, of the universal doubt, because it was everything that she was telling me in our session, session. And so she texted me the other day. She's like, got the book. I'm like, great. She's like, when can I listen to the podcast? I said, in a little bit, we pre-record it, but it'll be out. So, you know, um, what's funny about that list, a student of mine just, uh, so we had class Wednesday Thursday, no, Wednesday night, I got this message basically saying, you know, I know I'm all in my head, but I can't help thinking I'm never going to get anywhere. I'm, you know, the whole list. Right. And so I like, I just extracted it, you know, and I put it as a list. And I said, if you had a good friend who wanted to publish and they came to you and said these things, you know, would you say, you know, yeah, you're right. You, you know, you suck. You shouldn't do this. No, you, you know, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. They're t- no, and then I told, I remind her to go back to that chapter in my book. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a great list because I think all of us who have contemplated or thought about writing a book, one of those fears I would say has definitely arisen from probably every single writer who's ever published a book. And they were my, it's what I thought for exactly. years. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, Bella has in her book, um, the paradox book, Paradoxical Commandments by Kenneth M. Keith. And then she added a few of her own. And I just love this. I feel like I've read this before somewhere else, um, but we'll just kind of end with this today. If you want to look this up, you want to print it out somewhere. So there are 10 of them. And then Bella adds some of her own. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. 
If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. And then Bella said, I would like to add, if you write a book, you may not be able to sell it. Write it anyway. If you publish your work, people may ram judgments down your throat. Publish anyway. If you show people who you are, and through your writing, you may be shamed, show them who you are anyway. Show yourself who you are. This will make God smile. Bella, beautiful. And again, can you let people know where they can find you, where they can find your work, and uh, contact you to be their writing coach and get their books out there? Yeah, I love to. I love working with people, especially people who listen to your show. Um, it's bellamahiacarter.com, and you can find it all there. And 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 if you read this book. And you and it touches you in any way, please leave a short review on Amazon because they've been they're they've been cranky lately. They've been requiring proof of purchase and they've been cranky and they and they, it really does make a difference when you have reviews. And the reviews don't have to be fancy, they can be two or three cents. And it's not the quality of the review that matters, it's the quantity. And once you reach a certain number of reviews, then Amazon starts to share your book with other like like you know, people who bought this book might like your book so they start to do that but you have to have reviews for that process to happen unfortunately but um yeah yeah, yeah so please help bella support her clearly creator spirit was talking through me for you guys who are listening and watching. So please leave a nice review. That is always helpful, you know, to, to all people. And I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I am so glad I said yes to Bella. Where do you hang your hammock? Go out and buy it, review it. Um, it's lovely. It's so much more um, than just about writing books. It's really great and will touch you spiritually. I have no doubt about that. So Bella, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you all for listening today. And Bella, we just might have you back again because it sounds like you got a couple more books in you and I still have one more to read by you. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Thank you. Thanks everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com and be sure to use coupon code podcast30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.